until you value your own work, you're never going to find the client that values it enough to help you grow in your business. There's just no way. So I've learned to value my work, price my work and my time accordingly so that that way I can provide really high quality, great service to the people that hire me. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries, a community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Femcanics, I want to hear from you and get your feedback. Text me what your favorite episode is, how I could improve the podcast, what products would you like to see, but most importantly, I just want to connect with you. Text me at 614-953-6380. Again, that's 614-953-6380. I receive each message directly, and I'm excited to hear from you. Go on, press pause, and save my number, 614-953-6380. Kate Cook is in the driver's seat today. She's the artist and owner of Asphalt Canvas Custom Art, LLC. She creates custom art inspired by her clients' ideas in automotive enamels, ink and watercolors, and graphite. She was born into a family who enjoyed cross-country road trips, restoring muscle cars, and all things Americana. Sit back and enjoy the ride. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B. coming to you, and I have Kate Cook in the driver's seat today. How are you doing today, Kate? I'm great. Thank you for having me on. It is my pleasure. I've I've been like drooling over your work and <laughs> everything that you do for over a year now. It, it's crazy to me where I look back and I'm like, holy crap, I've been doing this femcanic thing for a year and a half now. Um, and I just, something triggered me and I'm like, I'm going to just ask her if she would be on the show. And you graciously accepted. So thank you. Oh, for sure. I can, I'm, like, I'm excited to be in the lineup of all the other women that you've had on this show. It's so cool. Well, you represent what Femcanic Garage is all about. So thank you for representing women in the industry with such class and grace. And that's that's what it's really about. So thank you for being you. Oh, absolutely. I am curious, and I always ask this question because it just fascinates me. You're an artist and, you know, folks got to hear a little bit about your background already, but... How would you define your artwork? That's a great question. I actually had an issue when I first started as to how to define my own artwork. But once I started my business and I realized that I was doing an equal balance of work between the automotive industry and the fine art industry, as far as like custom portraits and book illustrations mixed with like pinstriping and rat finks, (laughs) my husband actually coined this term. And I don't know if it's already been out there before, but he says that my artwork is quote unquote pinstripe illustration. So that term was kind of born a couple of years ago and I've just run with that because it seems to really like resonate with a lot of people in the two different genres that I work. 
Oh, I love it. And and you mm-hmm. cover quite the plethora of subject matter, really. I mean, some people focus on one subject matter, but you you kind of sprinkle yourself around a little bit. I mean, you definitely have your go-tos, but you try different things. Yeah, definitely. A lot of the work that I'm most proud of actually stems from an idea that a client had. I really hold my clients and their ideas in high regard because a lot of them come to me with such creative and unique concepts for custom art, whether it be like a really cool lettering job with a caricature of some kind on a, on a motorcycle tank or, you know, this book illustration job that, you know, with a story that goes with it that they may have worked on for years. So I've just really, really held their ideas in high regard because some of my best, most creative work has come from those and working with the client to kind of finalize and get that idea into fine art or custom art in general. I'm curious, and I guess to to backpedal slightly, a lot of your subject matter and what kind of drew me to you is the automotive subject matter. It fascinated me. Ratfink seemed definitely a staple in the automotive industry. Yes. But I know when we talked, you said, I've always liked art, and you've definitely been inspired by the creativity around your mother. But why automotive? A lot of your content is around automotive. Other topics as well and subject matter, but I've noticed a lot of automotive pieces. What about that? Yes, definitely um, automotive related. So um, like we were speaking earlier, I'm definitely an old soul. And I feel like a lot of the times I was, you know, born in the wrong era. um, And I felt like that ever since high school. I've always enjoyed vintage styled artwork and advertisements. I I absolutely love like World War II nose art, like pinup and being from a a hot rod family already, a family that grew up in that scene, um, car shows and things like that. That's really what drew me into just admiring that artwork. But I already had this skill of, of being able to draw things. So I was like, how can I combine the two and then how can I make a living at it? And for a long time, I, I, I couldn't get that overlap. But what drew me to it was a show that I went to initially. Um, it's called Mopars in May in California, because that's where I'm from. And there was an artist there doing some live airbrushing, which I don't airbrush yet, but <laughs> eventually I'd like to try that. Um, but he saw that I was like this young teenage girl that was like probably drooling over this airbrushing job that he was working on. It was on this big orange candy hood and he offered to let me just kind of mess around with the airbrush and try some stenciling with flames and that was the first like kind of aha moment I had where I could combine like my love for the automotive artwork that I had seen my whole life and advertising and things like that and also my skill as an artist because at the time I was already you know excelling in my high school art class and middle school I like took the top of the top classes after my teacher was like, Hey, this, this chick needs to be in a a different class because she's just like sitting here bored (laughs) in the beginning class. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, it definitely started at a young age and I was drawn to it based off like my family's interests and, and also with the nose arts, like my dad was in the air force. So I remember vividly, we had a coffee table of like nose art on old vintage airplanes and bombers. And I would always like skim through that when I was sketching in my sketchbook as a teenager and like kind of copy those pinups and different characters that they would paint on those planes. And of course, my dad being in the Air Force was always like super cool and stoked with whatever I drew, even if it wasn't that great. So yeah, it's just kind of a culmination of all of those different things that kind of literally 
laid my path into what I do now as an artist um, in the automotive field. Just to make sure, I'm making an assumption here, but when you say nose art, to kind of bring the listeners along and myself, yeah, the nose of airplanes is where it's painted? Is it that simple? It's just that simple. In World War II, they would kind of document their name of the plane or like a famous pinup girl or even like a character. For instance, like my dad's plane that he worked on in the Air Force, even in modern day, had Marvin the Martian like hand painted on the nose of a KC-135 bomber. And so I got to see that in real life, like see it painted up on this massive plane that the United States military used. And I'm like, wow, there's another, you know, art versus machine type of a correlation. So it's just, that's, it's just the simple set. (laughs) That is way cool. Have you had an opportunity to paint an airplane? Like any of the characters or anything? I would absolutely love the opportunity to paint a true airplane, but um, I haven't yet. That would definitely be like a total bucket list thing. But definitely I have used, you know, inspiration from nose art, man, I mean, in so much of my work, like all of my pinup work stems from nose art, pinup girls that were painted on planes back in World War II. The my lettering and stuff, the lettering I enjoy is all kind of like that military scripty kind of like mm-hmm. half, half done on the flight line type nose art. So yeah, that's something I really, I think is really cool. <laughs> Maybe maybe you can drop a hint to your dad to connect you with someone to have a conversation. Oh man, yeah. I mean, I had a I had an opportunity for a show um, a couple years back in Florida. That was gonna that was gonna be one of their big deals is have like all these artists come and paint on this vintage plane. And I literally like oh, I didn't wow. care about any other thing that was coming with that show. I was like, whatever day that is, I want to be there. <laughs> wow, wow. So I guess. We say automotive, but it's machine. Yeah. It's almost like this draw to the softness uh, of your artwork kind of clashing with the machine and the hardness of the machine. Yeah, I love that you say that, actually. That's exactly how I look at my work. In fact, my senior show out of uh, college was entitled Speed versus Beauty. And the whole theme around that was taking like a feminine outlook on a masculine machine. So like I was doing like pinup girl versus motor. And then I, it kind of, as I was working in that field, I kind of started seeing like, wow, instead of doing pinup girl, like instead of just doing this iconic image of a calendar girl, I could actually do a female mechanic working on like a vintage dragster or driving a vintage dragster and what a juxtaposition that really is. And that was really before, you know, the whole this whole scene got really big as far as like women in the automotive industry being highlighted. Um, So that was really fun to work with. And I ended up finding a bunch of old, old school women that like were the true, we can do it girls. And I used a lot of time photos of time magazine photos as inspiration of the actual Rosie, the riveters of all different race and religion working on, you know, planes or vintage Jeeps, you know, for the war efforts and, that really kind of drew that show all together. And I, I already started working on another series called um, She's Been Everywhere, Man, that kind of has that same, same ideology, but a little bit less, uh, <laughs> a little bit less mechanic and a little bit more like travel inspired. So yeah, purely out of curiosity, because I'm, I'm getting educated around, uh, I guess, 
proper etiquette. Yeah, you and me both. I mean, I don't know any other way of putting it because the reality is, I think it's not as common for people to go and commission artwork, right? Yes. Um, they'll go to the store and buy something, right? Right. So it's it's a different experience. So I don't feel like the average person knows what that process is really like. So when I'm asking this, it's really educate me so I'm not ignorant here, Kate. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> when you talked about your show in your senior year, I'm making an assumption here that those pieces, were they paintings? Yeah, they were painting and mixed media, yes. Okay. You sold those from that show. Correct, yes. Got it. So, like, um, it's kind of a funky situation I have because my business is based around commission artwork. So everything I everything you see on my Instagram for the most part is a custom piece of artwork for somebody or a business of some sort. Um, but mm-hmm. for shows like that one where it was a, a solo exhibition and the one that I'm working on kind of behind the scenes, the She's Been Everywhere Man series, those are pieces that I've done kind of on my own time kind of from my own brain, things that I've sketched out over time and travels and ideas that I've had, you know, brewing for a long time that um, as soon as I get the chance when I, you know, customer work is done, I'm knee deep and trying to figure out different types of series and gallery showings and where can I submit my artwork so that I can have it put in a gallery and all these different things that are more on a personal level rather than a, a custom commission artwork level. You don't happen to have any like pictures from that senior exhibition oh, absolutely. where you were featured. Yes, I have a bunch of them. And at that time I was like immersed in in just a really strong community of artists of all different kinds. And I was taking all kinds of different art classes. So the work that stemmed from that show kind of looks a little bit different than what um, I'm working on and what I have worked on now here in my current situation with my business and everything. So I, I look back at those pieces and I'm like, how cool is that? I mean, there's not a single pinstriping there, like the pinstriping that was in that show was actually done in acrylic paint, which if anybody listening knows pinstriping, it's normally done in like enamels. And so I didn't mm-hmm. even know what pinstriping, the art of pinstriping or lettering truly was and like the type of brushes and the type of paint. I didn't really know any of that until after I graduated college. So my whole senior show was kind of like around this really cool, iconic idea of like this Americana, you know, hot rod scene. But I didn't even know what tools to use that were actually like happening in that scene. So and this was all before social media. So I think that social media really helped, of course, me kind of bloom in that. Awesome. Would you be willing to share some of those pictures from that senior? Well, I don't know if it's a project. It kind of sounds like it was a project. Yeah, yeah, it was a project. Would you be willing to share some of those pictures with the Femcanon community? Oh, absolutely. I would love to. I would love to. I would love to see them uh, because it, just the, the theme of it fascinates yeah. me. So I'll just kind of explain a couple of them because I, I get super excited. I kept one of the, I had sculptures as well within that series. And um, I, I got these Hemi pistons from the junkyard here in town and they were like rusted out and all nasty. And they actually kind of like had a green tint to them. And I took my own hands and I made plaster molds of them with like all my rings and jewelry on. And, um, and then faux painted the 
the plaster of Paris sculpture of my own hand holding a true spark plug and attach that to the arm of the piston. And so it was like this really cool, like mix of like this really heavy piston, which was the base of the sculpture. And then the piston arm came up and the hand attached to that. And it looked like this one singular form. And it was just really cool. (laughs) That sounds so badass. (laughs) Oh yeah. And it was so much fun to make. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Like I'm, I'm listening to you describe this, Kate, and I'm like, giddy i'm like no. oh, i want to see it i want to see it and and just out of curiosity when i hear you explaining this would you say this was your first kind of big show where you had the oh, most it, absolutely um it was absolutely my first big gallery show now i had done a lot of shows in my high school career with a, a community called the mountain arts network in like arrowhead california and they really like gave me a lot of confidence and courage to like sell my little pen and ink drawings in this large art setting, which was an art show setting, but it, you know, I only had like six or seven pieces and there was a bunch of other artists also exhibiting. Um, but with this show, it was with my speed versus beauty show out of college. It was a literal senior. It was what I needed to do to graduate. (laughs) So I put like so much work and effort into it. And it was me and three other girls that each had our own senior exhibition during that time. Oh, wow. Yeah, I would love to see (laughs) Kate in her early years before she even figured out which tools, proper tools to use and what that looks like. Because I see what you do now. And that content is absolutely fascinating to me. And to see your work then and be able to look at what you're doing now and it's inspiring. But I'm curious, the people that bought that, bought your artwork from your senior project with that content were they majority male or female oh that's a really interesting question um (laughs) actually it it was a good 50 50 and i and i made some prints off of the stuff but at the time i had no idea what i was doing so i i did sell some prints and those majorly to males or just because they were more like garage poster art style but the, the actual artwork it was a good mix of like and actually quite surprising of some of the clients that ended up buying the, the artwork off of, off of that show. And, and if I'm being truthful and honest, I, that show actually was up for, I think, a month and, and it didn't sell anything. Like there was no artwork that sold. And I actually took those pieces with me to um, the Lone Star Roundup in Austin, Texas, which is a massive like custom culture car show. And I sold nothing there. And then I took them to a couple other different smaller venues and I sold nothing there as well. So I spent a really long time finding my client and finding my customer. And it was a lot of like massive fails. Like for instance, the Austin show, I spent so much money and time to like put this massive show together. It was basically a replication of what my senior show was, but with a tent and outside Yeah. And so until I really started like going to the car shows, going to the different like barber shops and coffee shops in town and asking them if they would display my artwork for me, I didn't sell anything. So my first sale from that show came like two years after the actual exhibition. And it was my highest grossing sale I've ever made up until that point. And it was really cool because the guy that bought it, it was a group of gentlemen that were the best men for a guy's wedding and the, the painting itself was hanging in a barbecue shop of all places. I just was hanging my artwork wherever it would get eyes. And uh-huh. um, 
I had this old like coupe door that was all rusted out and I did some acrylic, <laughs> acrylic pinstriping on it. And then in the window of the door was a piece of canvas that I had painted a pinup girl's face and she was shifting like in like a low rider rat rod style shifter. That's really tall. And I called it Milner's match, like from American graffiti. That's and awesome. yeah, it was a blast to paint and I didn't want to let it go. So I priced it ridiculous. And this guy came to me, he's like, Hey, me and my buddies want to buy this. Cause my, our best friend's getting married and we want it to be his, you know, groom's gift or whatever. And so <laughs> I was like, Oh my gosh, this couldn't come at a better time. Yes. You can have it. And this guy, I guess like idolized it for such a long time. And so it was his way of finally, you know, making, being able to sell it. It was just a really cool feeling. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And here you thought you were pricing it so yeah. high so that you could keep it longer. Yes. <laughs> Man, that has happened more than once too in my career. Like, oh, I'm just going to price the, you know, price this ridiculous. And, and literally every time everyone's like, okay, sounds great. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, I knew that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like always shocking to me, but <laughs> I guess it's, it's just... Oh, it's a game of humility. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I am way excited to, to see those pieces and see what that's all about. Um, that's that's way cool. I want to go back. So before you even got to college, you graduated high school and you always knew you wanted to go that route or did it just kind of find you? No, I, I honestly think I've always known that being an artist um, was my that's what I knew I was going to do. There was a time in my high school career, although throughout that, I knew I was a a, a fairly good artist and my parents were very encouraging um, in that way. I also danced uh, ballet for like 15 or 16 years. And for quite a while, I was, that was my entire life and art kind of took a back burner. And until it wasn't until like my junior year of high school that my dad kind of (laughs) was had this heart to heart with me. And I'll never forget it. Cause it was like the nutcracker ballet that we did every year and we would audition and try it out. And that was our community, our company's performance that we did every year. And he was like, you're not going to get to play Clara every year. Like that's not going to make the money. And so he was like, you're a great artist. And I, he's like, I really just think that there's money in that. And he kind of put the, you know, kind of just gave me like an eye opener. And I, at the time it was devastating because I really thought I was going to go to school for uh, professional ballet and uh, make that my career. And if it wasn't for my dad and my mom, just kind of like, you know, saying like, Hey, there's a short, you know, there's a short shelf life with that. And it's a pretty high, high end thing to get into and you're super tall. So you're not always going to get the gig. And, you know, they had to have a really tough talk with me. And and that's when I really finally made my mind up to be like, okay, I'm going to, go to college for art. That's, that's a good career. You know, I was always thinking, oh, I can get a career that's artistic. I never really imagined the opportunity I could have to actually own my own studio and like make my own artwork and, and do all what I'm doing now. I never thought that that was possible, <laughs> but the artistic career and the degree was always there. Um, after that conversation, that was always, that kind of started to drive me in that direction. What was that like for you? Because I'm I'm looking at the position, the parent's position, right? Because I, I can straddle both sides of the fence, Kate, because I'm, mm, yes. you know, I, I, I kind of went through that and it was my grandpa uh, was that person for me where it's with a loving, gentle hand. Yes, definitely. 
gently smack me across the face not literally but it, you <laughs> right. know what i mean like the totally. wake up call you know yeah. but it, it's it's like only he could do that only mm-hmm. him and my grandma could do that but no one else could yeah <laughs> right and it oh, sounds totally. like that's you know for you it was your folks that did yeah. that for you but it's still hard right like what oh, was yeah. that like for you like receiving that did it take you a few months to kind of let it sink in yeah Oh, absolutely. It did. Actually, I was right. It was right before our Nutcracker for performance. I can't remember what year it was, but like I said, it was like my junior year. And yeah, it took, I wasn't a dramatic teenager. Like I was pretty mature for my age. My brother and I both were pretty mature for our age in high school. So like when they said that, it wasn't like a, yeah, right type of a situation. It was like, okay, mom and dad know what they're talking about. And, you know, I, I just took it and I, kind of molded over for a while. And then I think what really like solidified my final, like, okay, this is what is going to happen. Cause yeah, it was definitely tough at first. Cause I was a teenager. I was like in dance and ballet. It was like my whole life. Like when I say my whole life, I'm talking like I lived and ate and slept at the dance studio. Like I was in the best shape of my life. I had, you know, everything I had was on scholarship there dancing with the company and it was a, it was my life. And so it was hard to hear like, Hey, this may not be a long-term deal, you know, <laughs> but the thing that solidified it for me was in the same year, um, my mom had seen somewhere in the newspaper, <laughs> like I said before social media, but it was like somewhere in the newspaper or posting up in our grocery store of a author that was looking to hire an illustrator. And I had been always wanting to work. I would always kind of been working for somebody as far as like a piece of artwork that they wanted done, like a, a small portrait or commission of some kind artistically throughout my entire high school career. But for this job, um, my mom brought it to me after school one day and she was like, Hey, there's this local author and she's written this children's book. And I think you should apply. <laughs> and I like, I definitely was like shocked. I was like, there's no way like there, I'm going up against like full-time real deal illustrators. That's not going to happen. I, I'm still in high school. And then long story short, I, my mom had to like drag me to this interview with this author. Cause I, I just was so doubtful. I was so doubtful in myself that that was going to, that something would ever come of that. And lo and behold, I actually got that job and that book, uh, those illustrations, I did all of the book illustrations and the cover art for a book called the legend of Douglas fir which is a children's Christmas book. And um, the sales from that book, a portion of them actually helped me buy my my first car and also helped me attend my first year of college. So it was insane to like have that all. It, we ended up translating it into Spanish and my high school art teacher translated that into Spanish for us so that we could print it in a second language. And, um, and we're talking like this was just like a small town author and, and this family story that she had. And I did all the illustrations actually while we were evacuated for a massive forest fire that was like, that pretty much took out our entire town. And I did them like <laughs> at my grandparents' house for two months while we were evacuated. So there was a lot going on at that time, but those illustrations really are what like showed me in my path, like you can make money at this. And, and up until that point, I wasn't really sure. So I'm really thankful for that book. And I still have it here on displayed in my studio as just a reminder to just do it. And don't let doubt like make up your mind for you (laughs) as hard as that is to to do. It's easy to say. I'm just sitting there thinking like what you were probably 
16, 17 years old? Oh, yeah. And there's a lot of embarrassing pictures of me doing book signings of like, you know, (laughs) hemp necklaces and like crocheted beanies. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, why didn't I try harder? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm sitting there thinking about myself at 16 years old, Mm, 17 years old, (laughs) and trying to put myself in your shoes and kind of getting drugged to this interview. Yes. And trying to do your best, but part of you didn't want to be there. Oh, yeah. Because you doubted it. Yeah. And it was my mom saying like, oh, you got that. You know, like every teenager's like, oh, come on, mom. You know, (laughs) a little bit. Right. You're supposed to say that. You're my mom. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. And what'd you get? A phone call after that? How did that work? You know, it's so bad. I don't remember. I think it was actually an email um, saying that I was accepted for the job. And, And if I'm being truthful with myself, it was probably more a pricing thing for her because I know, you know, I was in high school. So I, I had said, I put this like quote packet together, which was something I've never done before. I like remember going online and like researching that and asking my art teacher and stuff. I put this quote packet together of like what I thought this, my work and my artwork was going to be worth to her. And um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was through email that she was like, Hey, you know, I want to let you know that I want to work with you. And so we worked together for, I think it was like seven months and I did uh, like 18 full blown full color illustrations. And at the time that really fed my desire to want to go to college as a storyboard artist through Disney. And, and so I was like, man, if, if I can do this, if I can take an author's story and, and turn it into visual artwork, there's no reason why I can't take a director's movie story and turn it into a visual storyboard to like help the movie cast and crew like actually film this movie or animate this movie I wanted to do it something by hand and so that was my only out that I saw as far as a as far as a full-blown artistic career was working for Disney and I actually applied for Disney out of college like twice both times it was extremely expensive because you had to send a full-blown uh hard copy portfolio (laughs) of all your printed work. And uh, oh, wow. it was crazy. It was, and I, I got declined both times and I still have those letters as well because they had a, uh, you know, Disney on them. And I was like, Oh, this is so cool. I know I didn't get accepted, but how cool is it that I actually tried? <laughs> Absolutely. In motivation. But I'm curious, Kate, do you recall what you felt or what that experience was like when you finally like, Oh my gosh, I, I was, I know I was like extremely shocked. And then I got super like freaked out because I didn't like, I, I had like had lofty ideas of like what it would be like, but I actually didn't like sit down and be like, here's my timeline at, and I'm going to get this artwork, you know, busted out in this timeline. Cause I was now working for somebody on their timeline. It wasn't my timeline. <laughs> and um, as much as I saw, you know, in the movies and, and everything and all the things that you like see and idolize as a kid, I was like, no, I have to, actually do this and like (laughs) how am I going to organize my schedule as a high school kid that had you know I was still dancing in in ballet and I had this amazing project car my my 66 jeepster that I was working on which took a huge portion of my time and money and um I think that's actually what drove me to staying on on target with this um this first job because this was my first this was the first biggest job I had at that age and so and I knew that there was potential 
for financial benefit that could, you know, help me build my Jeepster as, as like silly as that sound. But like, I was just a high school girl, like wanting to drive this awesome Jeepster around my high school so that, you know, not silly at all, my friend, (laughs) not silly at all. Yeah. So that was my driving force. And then, you know, come to find out it also paid for like my college and I have this, all this knowledge from doing that. So I could do it again and maybe publish my own book in the future. It just gave me so much. And I'm just so glad that that was the first, the first thing that really solidified my idea of being an artist and doing it as a career. So you brought up the Jeepster, and I, if you, were, if you weren't going to bring it up, I certainly was. <laughs> because the thing is, your, your subject matter, a lot of your subject matter is automotive-related, mm-hmm. but you turn a wrench as well. Yeah, yeah, I can. <laughs> share about this awesome Jeepster, it's, and, and you shared a little bit, but y- yeah. you bought it when you were in high school. Yes, right? I, yeah, so I bought my Jeepster in high school with my own money. Um, and then my parents matched. What year is it? It's a 1966 Jeepster Commando with the 225 odd fire V6. And um, the the whole purpose around that car actually was that my dad, we lived in the mountains in California. So my dad told me like, you can buy whatever car you want, but there's, you know, here's the rules. It has to be four wheel drive because we lived in the snow. And whatever you save for it will match. And that's your budget. So I saved like crazy. And at the time I was going to high school, there was this, I think he was a football player or something, but I was so obsessed with this like old rusty red Jeepster commando that he drove to school every day. I don't even think he had a hard top or any sort of top on it at all. Mind you, we went to school where it snowed. So (laughs) I think he eventually got like a black soft top for it, but I was like, okay, that is an old school Jeep. It's four wheel drive. I could probably afford it if I got kind of a, you know, more of a low key one that wasn't all fully restored. And so that's what we ended up looking for. And man, we looked at, we looked at so many Jeeps and, and also just so everyone knows, like I had no idea how to work on cars at all. Like I enjoyed going to car shows and I liked that scene, but I couldn't even change like my own tire or my own oil at this point. And I didn't know how to drive stick shift. Um, so Long story short, again, we found uh, we found a Jeepster. I think it was in Barstow, California, and it was in my budget. It had been the body hadn't been all hacked up because I'm a visual person. So like a lot of people take Jeepsters and like jack them up for like like severe off road, like Mojave Desert, Moab kind of stuff. And I wanted that original old school beach cruiser look because I, I was a beach girl. I'm a beach girl at heart. I love being at the beach. And so I was like, I, I didn't really want it to be stock, but I, I didn't want it to be super lifted either. Um, I wanted it to be a good cruiser and a good like off-roader, but nothing too crazy. So we found this one in Barstow. I ended up paying cash for it. It had like these rotted out, nasty old RV tires and it was a stick shift, three speed. And so my dad um, drove it home with me in the passenger seat. And I was, of course, on cloud nine. And the first thing we did was change the oil. And um, he showed me like all the ins and outs and what to look for and everything. And he said, now lay under the car and take the, you know, take, take down the bowl and the oil should come out into this can. And I said, okay, so I did all that. And I waited there and like no oil came out. And we had driven like two hours home. And I was like, okay, man, I must have done something wrong, but the plug was out. (laughs) So I told him, 
we pulled the pan and like come to find out like the whole engine had been uh, rebuilt, but it had been rebuilt backwards. And so all the rods that were supposed to be on one side were on the other. And <laughs> oh my God, it was a freaking nightmare. And of course I didn't know what I was looking at. My dad was like over there sweating bullets that we just bought this like car that is kind of a hoopty now. <laughs> I just want to pause for a moment. Everything was backwards. Yes. That's a first. I've heard yes. a lot of things. in oh. Girl, That's yes. a first. Oh, yes. If I could, like, I'm telling you, the 225 Odd Fire, like that engine, it, it it can go through hell and back and still run like a champ. I mean, if you were to listen to this engine at the time, like, you could not tell that there was something wrong. That's why it was so surprising to us that this was all done. And then, like, come to find out, when we checked the oil, the little stopper on the oil stop, the welded little cap that keeps it like on the block, so, like at a certain height had like the, that weld broke. So the, the stick went all the way down to the very bottom of the motor. So it looked like it had oil, but oh since that God. stopper had broke off, the weld broke off. It actually had like, I think less than a quart. <laughs> oh my um, gosh. Yeah. So that kind of started the whole, um, of course, at first it was like devastating, and then my dad's like kind of the can-do guy and can-do spirit. And he's like, hey, we're going to we're gonna learn how to rebuild an engine today. And we're going to learn how to <laughs> freaking do all this stuff. Like we're going to do a spring under conversion and we're going to do a steering conversion and all the brisk. It's just amazing how much I learned. And I couldn't have done it without him or my brother and my mom's willingness to allow that. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's what I did my whole high school career. <laughs> there are so many stories I hear about child and parent most of the time it's dads but child parent and some of the best memories are when they worked on a car fill in the blank of whatever car that is together oh for sure for sure wow yeah i think that um a lot of the awkward like teenage conversations that happen like you know around like a dinner table i think that they they were a lot less awkward when like we literally weren't looking at each other and we were on two opposite ends of the car. And, and, you know, he asked me like, so is so-and-so your boyfriend now? And, and like, we're not looking at each other and it's like super dark and we're freezing outside because we built this Jeep in the driveway of like a one car garage. And, uh, you know, I'd answer like, yeah, is that okay? You know? (laughs) And it was just like way less wrench slips and crushes knuckle. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So I, I have just really, really fond really fond memories of that Jeep and, and I still have it today and it, it needs a little love. I, I needs a little bit of love. I've been focused so much on my business and then I actually injured my, uh, my arm and my hand. So driving stick shift is, was a, impossible for me for the last couple months, but that was a whole nother thing is that I had to learn how to drive stick shift. So once the car was built, then I had to learn how to drive it. Wait, hold up, hold up. You you said that in passing. You yeah. said you injured your arm and hand and you're an artist. So I'm uh, in my mind, I'm like, how does that work? Oh, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. Does that mean you have to like pause? Would like your work? Is it your? Yeah, it's my dominant painting hand. <laughs> okay, I'm like, there's a writing hand. Are you writing? I don't know. I try not to like talk about it, but yeah, we. I, I pinched a nerve in my neck, which caused like my arm and my hand to just have like, just literally like be paralyzed in pain. Like it was just some of the worst pain oh, I've ever been man. through. So as if 2020 wasn't like crazy and bad enough. Like I had to take a couple months off work and literally sit and do nothing, which 
for somebody that is so like focused and driven, it was so challenging. You can ask my husband. (laughs) He's like, we got to get you back to work. You're driving me crazy. (laughs) Yes. So I'm I'm on the mend now. And so that's good. But it was definitely tough. I couldn't drive my Jeepster, couldn't paint, couldn't draw. It was even working on the computer, like for marketing and stuff was not recommended by my doctor. So it was kind of just sitting and staring at a wall and thinking about how thankful I am that I don't have coronavirus or anything worse. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, we had talked about something that always fascinates me. Uh, I am a serial entrepreneur. I <laughs> I love being an entrepreneur. I love everything about it. Um, but there, there's always, I think the thing that draws me to it the most is that uh, it's truly the journey, right? There, There is real no destination around being an entrepreneur. It is like a constant journey and twists and turns. And, and it's not just about a website, social media, or, you know, finding the client, so to speak. And we talked a little bit about this, Kate, but it is amazing the internal journey yes. as an entrepreneur you have to take specifically your relationship with money mm-hmm. to take your business to the next level. And and it it always fascinates me. And and I, I feel like the entrepreneurs and the women that are in the in the industry that are also entrepreneurs, there there's always this um journey and exploration that has to happen to take it to the next level. And you talked a little bit about that. We talked a little bit about it, but is that something you'd be willing to dive into a little bit? Oh, absolutely. I think um, with you saying being a journey and everything, I fully, I fully agree with you. And quite honestly, like sometimes that's since I'm so like goal oriented, it's actually something that I've struggled with because there really is no end goal, so to speak. Like how, when do you have enough money or when do you have enough followers or when do you have the right kind of artwork? or that perfect job, because I have had so many great experiences with my followers and so many good, um, fantastic commission jobs where I've just really enjoyed the company of the client and their ideas and stuff. So there is no end to it. And, and for me, like once I have set a goal and reached it, if I don't have another one to keep, like, keep me motivated, if you will, it's, it's really tough for me to like call myself an entrepreneur because I, I don't have that accomplishment to, to chase, if you will. Um, but with money in particular, that, that is probably my, my biggest struggle with this, or it was, especially in the beginning, it's kind of just a shot in the dark because a lot of artists don't, don't like to share or talk about what, how they price their work and like what they, what they feel comfortable with. And, and it's different across the board and it's really different across the board with the automotive industry. It's, you know, and I've learned and every day it's like, I have to relearn it and tell myself, like, I've just noticed that it's really a matter of like valuing your own work and then in turn pricing it accordingly. Because I, I, there's been times in my business where like I underestimated myself or I didn't value my work. And then I came across a client that truly saw the value in my work. And when I quoted them a price, they were like shocked and how, how affordable it was. And that was like an instant red flag to me. Like, okay, what am Mm -hmm. I, what's going on? Like, what am I doing wrong? Or what else are people pricing this at? I have no idea. 
Um, cause yeah. you know, there's like those hourly guys and then there's the, the by job guys and then there's by size guys. And so over the years, I've finally come to a really great scale for my business that works. And I, I price all of my artwork based around the size, the time that it takes me. Uh, and then like, of course you're, you, you have like your travel and, and the material and, so there's all these different aspects that go into pricing a job and, and literally every job is priced differently. Um, and that's only because I work so, so in so many different fields as far as like images and everything I paint is so different. So it's like, I can't just be like, yeah, 50 bucks or whatever it is, you know, across the board, <laughs> um, right, which right. I mean, I, I did do that for a while and I like shot myself in the foot. But in regards to what you were saying about like growing your business until you value your own work, you're never going to find the client that values it enough to can help you grow in your business. There's just no way. So I've learned to value my work, price my work and my time accordingly so that that way I can provide just really high quality, great service to the people that hire me. It's really important to me. Like I don't feel like I'm just product-based business. I feel like my services are just as important and like, if you need to contact me, I'm going to be available. And if you have a question, don't, I don't want you to feel like an idiot for asking. Like you said earlier, there's so many different things that maybe other people outside of the art world don't know to ask or, or they ask and they feel silly because, you know, they think that they should already know. And that's not the truth with people that hire me. I like, I just want them, I want it to be like an open-ended project that we work on together more so than like, Hey, here's my money. Paint me what you want. I want them to yeah. feel like, hey, that was my idea. And look at how she took this idea and and transformed it. And I picked out the color for the background candy panel. And I got to decide whether the font was, you know, script or all caps or I just want them to be included because I feel like that's what they come to me for is just this togetherness of creating artwork. That's the whole point. I want to create artwork from their ideas. And I can't do that unless they share their stories and their their ideas with me. <laughs> That sounds like an amazing experience. And there's there's two things when I'm listening to you talk. I feel like every entrepreneur, their biggest challenge, it's challenging figuring out, wearing all the different hats for sure. Oh my gosh, yes. But it seems like the biggest challenge is the battle of valuing your own product and service. I agree. Because you you don't have anyone telling you. Being able to tell people you know, no, I will not give that to you for yeah. free. <laughs> oh my gosh, and that you is so hard. Know. Yes, and I have I have it such is. a giving mentality. Like I, I, cornerstone of my business is giving back to my community. Like I always try and find areas to do that. Um, just at no charge to anybody. Just out of my own like gratitude to be able to do this for a living. I always try and find some way to do that. But that mindset, it has a place where it needs to stay. <laughs> And it can't like translate into like how I provide for my family with my company. It, it can't, it can't kind of cross over too, too much because yeah. otherwise I end up, I end up like totally stressed out and almost bitter towards clients because I charge them. I undercharge myself and that's just the crappiest place to be in because they don't know what, you know, sometimes they come to you and they have no idea what the price may be. And so if you charge them and tell them like, Hey, this mm -hmm. is how much it's going to cost. They may have nothing to go and compare that with. So they're thinking like, wow, that's a lot of money. I can't wait to do this. And I'm thinking like, Oh my God, I didn't charge enough. I don't even want to do this job. I don't want to 
and that that's only happened a couple times and and I've gotten through it and it's still been a great experience client and and artist alike but it just it makes for a lot more joyous project when you feel like you're being valued financially and and emotionally with the project on both ends <laughs> absolutely and that was the second thing that I wanted to get to and part of this is education at a high level can you walk me through like because like I was saying the average person doesn't know the proper etiquette and how to view asked to buy or in and we don't necessarily have to go through every scenario but your experience that you try to or maybe some you know best best tips or whatever so that you know if I'm approaching an artist I don't want to seem like a jerk and I certainly don't want to give the impression that I don't value what they do. Oh, for sure. It's hard figuring that out because it, it's um, it's not like you go online and you can, oh, this same piece costs <laughs> exactly. this much over here because they're yes, all exactly. unique, right? It's They're typically one of a kind unless you're buying a print or something. But yeah, what is your experience? Like what what advice would you give the consumer so they don't, come across as an idiot. Yeah, that's a really interesting topic. <laughs> like, um, I think as a consumer looking to hire an artist, I think just going with an open mind. And I also think going knowing that it may be above or below your price level. Like I wouldn't go in and I've done this myself. Like I wouldn't go in and ask somebody what like custom anything costs with a price in mind. Like I just go in uh, with an open mind and when they get back with me on, on what idea would cost, like I always let them know. And I've learned this in my business. I always let them know if I can't, if at the moment I can't afford it, I always let them know, like, I'm sorry, that's, that's a great price. I, I appreciate you getting back with me um, and give them true feedback. And I've never been like, wow, that's way too expensive because I really haven't had encountered that yet. I don't know what I would do in that situation. But as a consumer myself that loves to buy custom artwork and custom leather work and metal work and all kinds of stuff, like I always go in with an open mind and I don't pre-price their artwork or their craft subconsciously when messaging them. And I think that helps with like sticker shock. And so um, I've just learned that that for me helps a lot. I love the advice that you give there is just being open with them. It's, hey, it's not that your price is too expensive. It just may be out of my budget right now. And I value what you're doing. Yeah, I think that helps the artist gear their pricing a lot better. Like there's been a lot of times where I've quoted a price to somebody and then I never heard back from them. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe I was in a season where I was okay to like say, oh, well, you know, do you have did you work in the military? Cause I offer a military discount or like they didn't open up that conversation of like, how can we actually make this work? And so, like I mentioned, I have a military discount. I have, you know, option for payment plan. Like there's plenty of ways. And then sometimes I'm like, Hey, I haven't had work in a long time. And you know, you do this awesome job and give back to the community for a living. I'm going to give you a discount. You know, like it's, that's the benefit of being your own boss. So if that conversation is over just because the other person just thought, oh, that's too much, or I can't afford it, and I'm not going to message him back. Like I would have so appreciated feedback in the beginning stages of my career, and even to this day, like, hey, I that's I, I personally think that's too much, or 
I can't afford it right now, but I see the value in it. So I'll save up for it. Or do you have a payment plan? You know, it opens that conversation so that they're not just going to run over to Hobby Lobby and buy some like one, you know, 15,000 off canvas print to fill their wall when they could have gotten something that they could have potentially afforded had they opened that conversation up. Yeah, I love that. I think that is such great advice. And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, when when you talk about custom artwork and stuff, and what drew me to your artwork is the pinup stuff. The pinup work that you do, I'm drawn to pinup because there's, there's a feeling, you could look at it two different ways. Were the women being sexualized? Maybe, I, I don't know. I guess when I look at pinup, especially in that generation where pinup was really big, is that it was almost taboo for women ah, to be definitely. dressed that way, right? And there's, to me, it's like a sense of taking your power back in your femininity back and owning it rather than it being sexualized or taken from you. It just seems and feels so empowering to me. And then the connection with the machine. Yeah, I love that. I don't know. And. In in the whole idea around Femcanic Garage and the car show, when I saw your artwork, I'm like, that is the look and feel that I would want to portray in the marketing oh, around it. the car show. And I couldn't think of anyone else better oh, than you, you to tell that story and cultivate that emotion thank you so from much. a picture. Uh, I, I can't wait to work on it with you. Going back to what you said, I I totally agree with you as far as um, what pinup means to certain people. And I know at first, I mean, we have to be real that the the first time a pinup was invented or not invented, but really utilized was in, you know, like the world war two era. And it was for a certain reason. But to me, I think, I think pinup means something different to everybody. But for me, pinup means it's, it's like an icon for a forgotten era and um, an era that's like quickly dwindling and fading. And that's why I enjoy the hot rod culture so much. And this industry of being in the automotive industry, because it still has like kind of the old fashioned, like, Hey, let's meet up instead of let's actually like chat on the phone and not send a text as simple as that sounds or, yeah, let's drink a beer together. Yeah. Let's let's sit in a lawn chair next to each other and talk about each other's cars. Exactly. Let's drink a beer and <laughs> you know? you know, talk about our our grandparents and their amazing stories and the kind of people that they were and the quality of life that they had. And for me, I know it sounds so, so corny, but that's what yes. pinup represents for me and and um and in that I do think that there's like strength and and just I don't know, like iconic it's just an iconic image that represents a lot to me. And I, I really enjoy portraying it through paint in my own way. Cause there's been so many people before me, amazing, famous pinup artists before me that I, of course I draw inspiration from, but I don't ever want to like directly copy that. I want it to be my own. And I think people, you know, pinup artists are, are pinup artists because they put their own spin on it. And so that's what, that's, what's been fun and creating all these different little pinups is kind of putting my own, spin on it <laughs> absolutely absolutely and i i so look forward when your work pops oh, thank up in you, my thank feed. You. <laughs> and i and i i catch myself staring at it because it cultivates oh, emotion thank you. and that's that's what it's about 
Yes, that's a great compliment. Gosh, I appreciate that. <laughs> well, it's earned. And thank you for doing what you do. Um, because it is, I agree with you, you're, you're beautifully capturing an era that, let's be honest, a, a lot of yeah. them have passed or they're in this space where we need to take notice. Yeah. Get off of our freaking phones. And I'm guilty of this too. Because I'm sitting here saying I look at Instagram, no, right? Me too. <laughs> Get off of our phones and talk to our parents and grandparents. Yeah, totally. Because there's going to be a day they're not there, and they have some of the most amazing stories from an era that it's just crazy and mind-boggling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we can learn from it so much. I think that we can apply a lot of yes. the values that they kind of subconsciously say and tell through their stories. I, I know that I've personally learned so much and, and took, and I've shaped my own morals and goals around some of the stories that my grandparents told of living in that era. And I just, it's really, really cool to be able to portray that in a pinup girl. I know, like I said, I know everyone has their own, their own version, but we like with this new series, I'm working on, um, it, it involves pinup as well, but a lot of the photographs I'm going to be using for inspiration are from uh, Trent Schoel and uh, Speeding Culture Magazine Photography. And his my, his and my morals around pinup are very similar as far as like keeping it classy and more empowering the woman than sexualizing them. And I, I like gravitated so much towards a lot of the photographs that he's taken in his career. And so I just reached out to him and was like, hey, I want to use like, this, this, and this picture for this series I'm doing. And at the time it was just kind of like this little glim in my eye. And then I told him about it and he was like, Oh, we're doing this. And so he like lit the fire under me to like get painting on this series and creating and stuff. And so it's cool to like in, in this industry to find like-minded people like that, that see pinup as more of a iconic image of Americana rather than just like this sexualized chick next to a hot car. <laughs> right. Right. With your skills being able to position and place the woman in different yes. places other than yes, yeah, on definitely. the hook. Or, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what it's about. It, it can tell a different story around it. And I, I just think it's so cool. Um, oh, thank you. It's a blast. <laughs> I love painting them. They're a blast to paint. So I'm curious, Kate, you've had all these amazing experiences. What is next for you? Ah, oh, that question. <laughs> um, well, honestly, 2020, like as, as silly and crazy as it was and like how much downtime I had and everything, I, I really like focused a lot on what I want for my business. And um, my biggest career goal for 2021 is to find a gallery that will showcase my series um, when it, when that time comes, I have a couple paintings done now, but a lot of people, myself included, had no idea how much work goes into applying for a gallery show, like at a professional art gallery. And there's all kinds of wording that you have to do and like a, a CV and a state, an artist statement, all these things. And as, as much as I love to write and stuff, it's, it's definitely proved <laughs> a task. So, um, that's my biggest goal of 2021 is, is that. And then I already am booking, gosh, I can't believe it, but I'm already like booking out for the end of March because I have clients up until that point that have booked with me for different projects, like across the board, there's so many cool projects coming up. And then like we spoke with you and I, we have that one coming up here in the summer, probably. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to 
a lot of the opportunities with my studio that that have been like high ranking or top of the top have literally come up at kind of a moment's notice. And it's that like, <laughs> oh, shoot moment of like, do I do this or do I not? And so I, ha- I'm, I always kind of leave a little space for those so that if I do want to take on like a surprise opportunity, I, I can have that leeway of saying yes or no. I did apply to go maybe do the all girls garage uh, or excuse me, the girl gang garage build with bogey for the SEMA show, the um, Volvo that they're building. So yeah, the Volvo so might be Heck on the yeah, horizon man. depending on uh, how things work out. That's more towards the fall when I would come in because of their work schedule. I, of course I'd be more towards the end of the build with the paintwork and stuff. So that, that would hopefully be in the fall, but I don't know. It like I said, it's always kind of a I have usually like two or three set goals and then the rest of them I kind of just like scout out opportunities and apply as the year goes. And of course, I mean all my shows in 2020 were canceled except for one of them and then I hurt my arm and neck so I couldn't paint at that show and I just I just went as a bystander which was actually kind of fun. Um but yeah, so I have three of those shows planned for 2021 um, ribs and rods in temple, Texas, uh, the Lone star roundup in Austin, Texas. Um, and then may, I usually keep one other show option open besides Christmas stuff going on in, in December. So it's a busy year. I'm, I'm excited to like kind of be back in the swing of things. Hopefully. Nice. Well, I can tell you the first priority is me getting the sponsorship and, um, uh, commissioning you to do a piece that we would auction off for charity and then in my bucket list I've never purchased any custom art it is in my bucket list and you will be the person that I purchase it from oh thank you because uh, it's spot on and it 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 makes sense to me it feels right to me so that. thank you so much I look forward to working with you it, it would be fun for sure in uh, in just learning the process, I love working with creatives. And, you know, it's kind of a funny story to make fun of myself, Kate. <laughs> we all do that. That's good. <laughs> you have to. Yes, you definitely have to. <laughs> I've been um, a guest on other podcasts. And I, Femcanic Garage was featured in Podcast Magazine. And Oh, my gosh. Understandably so, because I ask my guests can send me pictures. They asked me for pictures, and I'm like, I don't have any professional oh, yes. pictures. The only headshot I got is the picture that I used for my book that got published, and that's 10 years old. And I'm like, oh, my God, look at me. I don't even have those. So I'm actually getting my first official photo shoot oh, that's in so February, and I'm like, I have – no idea what the hell I'm doing and when I'm talking to the photographer like I mean it, she's a professional for sure it, it's not like my cousin right. doing them or something <laughs> like that right this she does this full time right and she is absolutely amazing her uh her creativity just her eye and her style uh, I I was really drawn to it she's located it's plum creative photography I believe here in Columbus she's just phenomenal and she's like kind of carrying me through this and i'm like i'm giving you 99 yes. <laughs> percent creative rain here that one percent is me just kind of putting in the guardrails to right. stay consistent with my brand and she was just giddy she's like you have no idea as an as an artist and creative how much fun that is for me and what i found is folks like you kate do far better 
things and bigger things than what <laughs> I could even think of because I, it's just that's your guys' jam. Yes. And I've always been so impressed uh, when I oh, go with my sure. gut with people and they always far exceed my expectations. For sure. I love that. Go with your gut for sure. Photographers are actually, I, I've done a lot of research, especially when we were about to get married, doing photographer research on that front. I, I kind of pulled a lot of my like marketing and stuff from the way that they kind of structured their emails for like client uh, estimates. And so I, I really appreciate a lot of the people that I, you know, I may not have fired them, but I definitely like thanked them for their time. And then I told them like, I really admire how well this email is put together and all the information packet and everything. So a lot of the stuff that I have now in a customer, like, you know, rec- in- inquires about a custom piece of art, like a lot of the things that they, that I send them, like the pricing sheet and the information, the 10 steps of all that and how 10 steps on how to create art and all, all this that all came actually from like my research and in, in photography business. Cause they always have like packages and like the different prices and then, you know, the second photographer and all these different things. And I have a lot of friends who are photographers. So I appreciate all their hard work that I kind of like, you know, skirted on the tail end of and kind of took some of the ideas for myself. So <laughs> yeah, they're amazing, amazingly talented people, photographers. Absolutely. I think this is a good time to dive into the red line round because I I think it'll expand on some of the things that we're talking about. And I'm curious of your responses. And the red line round is five rapid fire questions. There's no right or wrong answer to them. Whatever pops into your head. Oh, gosh. Okay. You ready? Yes, I'm ready. (laughs) All right. I need like a sound. Yeah, you do. Yeah, totally. (laughs) All right. Kate, who or what has been your inspiration throughout your journey in the industry? Uh, there's there's a couple people in, in the industry itself. I would say um, as a kid, it was like Jessie Combs, for sure. She was my, my go-to because I saw her in the industry, kind of the only girl in, in the scene and kind of like doing her own thing without any regard to like what people were saying you know, no to, she was kind of just her own beast. And I totally admired that. And I'm so glad I got to meet her um, before she passed. And, uh, but outside of that, I would say, obviously, my family and uh, my faith are two, the two big driving focuses of what keeps me going and motivates me and inspires me to do better, like literally every day. (laughs) Beautiful. Kate, where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or you get stuck on a job or a piece that you're working on? Oh, I love that question. So a lot of the times, um, so there's two different types of stuck for me. And (laughs) the first stuck is creatively stuck. um, And the second stuck is technically stuck. (laughs) And so to to get creatively unstuck, I, I cannot be anywhere near my studio. And I have to just do something completely different than picking up a paintbrush or a pencil to create something. So either I go to an antique store and that really, really, really inspires me. I see like all this old rusty stuff or like old suitcases and old lettering art and and vintage posters. And and that really gets my juices flowing again. And so either that or like, you know, going into the kitchen and like trying to create something out of food, which has good and bad things (laughs) happen from it. But, um, and then, <laughs> and then the technically stuck, I, I, um, I'm actually like 
pretty old school. I, I don't really use a lot of YouTube. I, I go I go back to books a lot that I've collected over the years. Um, and then now that there's Instagram, I have found like just like just cherished Instagram for. Um, and I know it sounds so like millennial, but truly like Instagram has been a great tool for me in connecting with people that do the same thing as me in a different style. And if I have a problem with like paint not sticking or like mixing clear, <laughs> there's, there's certain friends at, at first, they were just these really high end artists that I was so nervous to reach out to, but I kind of just did because I had no other choice. I was like, I got to get this bubble out of my clear paint. Like, how do I do this? You know, or how do I mix this clear or how do I, you know, make this old school looking sign? How do I make it look aged or anything like that? So I've really found um, Instagram and, and making those relationships and connections and friendships through that, that that's how I get technically unstuck. And, and that's just, a, that's a huge testament to the people in my industry. Like they're so willing to share their knowledge and, and they're not condescending about knowing it if you don't. And like, you know, Hot Rod Jen and Darren and Gooch Customs and all these, all these different people that have really helped me through the four years I've been open full time. And, and even up until before I was open. <laughs> I love that. I love that camaraderie. Yes. It's, oh, it's so special. Uh, nothing beats it. No, definitely not. Kate, what excites you most about what you do? What excites me most? I think what truly excites me most goes back to the whole entrepreneurial journey is there's really never, there's never like okay, you did it. Like, although that stresses me out sometimes, it's also extremely exciting that the, the opportunity that I have with this career as a custom artist is, is like endless. Like I, as long as I'm willing to like go out and, and grab the opportunity and, you know, apply for the gallery show or apply for the competition or enter my artwork here or there, like, as long as I'm always willing to do that, there's always going to be the opportunity to be an artist. And I think that's what truly excites me. Um, of course, besides meeting the, the clients, I mean, I'm always like so excited to like see a new email in my, in my invoice or in my uh, emails, like with a new idea. Cause I'm like, Hmm, how, how can we, you know, what is this idea? And like, am I going to instantly visualize it or are we going to have to like really work through some sketches? And so of course that's the obvious excitement, but I think the endless opportunity possibilities, that's what truly is exciting and what keeps me motivated through the day. What's a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly when you feel stuck or discouraged a personal habit? personal habit that has helped me when I feel stuck or discouraged. Um, I think I haven't made it a habit yet, but I'm really trying is to step away when it's not working. Like as a business owner, I, I know that if I'm not having a creatively happy (laughs) if you will, a creatively happy day, like, or, you know, I can use an entire eraser in one sketch and it's just still not working. I, I, I've continually and unfortunately just stayed with it and like tried to keep making something work that wasn't going to work. And the reason for that is because I know that at the end of the drawing or the end of the painting, I'm going to get paid. And, and it may be a situation where I need to get paid or I need to finish it because I have another client's work that's coming down the line. And it's 
literally every time, if I do not step away from it, I stress myself out. And then I literally start to like down this rabbit hole thinking like, why did I do this? Why do I do this for a living? I, you know, and I just start negative self-talking myself. So I think I'm still learning that habit of just like once, if it's not working, step away. And then guess what? You know what? God will provide you some time another day or another week to get that done. And, And I've literally never missed a deadline in my life as an artist. And I'm so proud of that. (laughs) And I, and I think it is definitely due to knowing my limits. (laughs) Mm, So well said. So well said. And and finally, what is your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in the industry? And I'm saying that in a vague term, I understand you're an artist, but I think there, there's definitely things that translate and transcend across industries. Oh, I a hundred percent agree with you on that. I think like top of the top thing is, and I have said this so many times is, is do it in fear. So like, if you're scared of an opportunity, let the scare and the anxiety that that may cause, like turn that into your excitement and let it drive you because most often it will lead to an opportunity and an accomplishment that you can put literally at the top of your resume and be the most proud of. With that said, I do think that the other part of that is, is within any industry or craft, it's so important to master the boring stuff. You cannot give yourself a title unless you've like went through the grind and, and did the hard work, you know, and I'm not saying like go to college. I'm saying like open a book, get on YouTube and learn how to draw and shade a circle. If you're wanting to be an artist, learn how to master a straight, nice weld without using a grinder, you know, those simple things, because that is, those are the stepping blocks, whether you like it or not. Like if you start at the bottom and you move up to the top, you're not going to get there off of word of mouth. You're going to get there by like perseverance and hard work. And if you don't start at the bottom, learning how to shade a circle, you're never going to get to the top where you get to, you know, pinstripe at the SEMA show. It's just never going to happen. Um, so those are my two biggest things advice-wise for anybody. And I guess that goes for life and the craft. <laughs> that is the good <laughs> stuff right there. I, I love it. Uh, so many times I hear people giving advice of don't do this. Don't let people do this. And it's going to happen. You're going to feel those things. But those are clear, actionable yeah. items. I love it. Kate, where and how can people connect with you and your company? Yes, absolutely. So uh, first and foremost is my website, Asphalt Canvas Custom Art. Um, There you can go to the contact inquire tab if you are interested in commissioning a piece of artwork. Um, Like I said, for 2021, I'm booking out until March, but you can fill out a form there and it walks you through the different kind of questions I'll ask you before we actually have a phone or email consultation regarding your ideas. I work heavily through Facebook and Instagram as well. Um, Facebook is V8 Kate and, uh, or Asphalt Canvas Custom Art. And then Asphalt Canvas Customs is for Instagram. Of course, I have a Pinterest as well. And if you're interested in um, seeing my inspirations as far as like nose art and vintage, you know, war pictures of, you know, the true Rosie Rose Riveters, that link is also on my website. And it's just Asphalt Canvas Custom Art um, over on Pinterest. Kate. Thank you so much for being in the driver's seat today and just peeling back the curtain and letting us get to know you as an individual. Through your artwork, I feel like I know you, but um, 
kind of sticking a voice to the picture and uh, really understanding your world and what you stand for. Oh, it was absolutely my pleasure. Like I said, I'm so happy to be in the line of women that you've interviewed and I'm honored that you've taken all this time and all of your talent and effort into producing this this podcast. I can't do it and I'll always be listening to some candid podcast. It's one of my favorites to listen to while I paint. Well, thank you. <laughs> I, I truly appreciate that. And that right there, Kate, is something I've been working on. Truly receiving a compliment. <laughs> oh, yes. Gosh, that's great. That's such a great quality in people. I love that. Absolutely. Thank you again, Kate. Oh, for sure. Thank you. My name is Kate Cook with Asphalt Canvas Custom Art, and I'm a Femcanic. Nikki Dart is in the driver's seat next. She completed her automotive mechanics course in 2010. She does not work in a shop currently, but has used this knowledge to work on her 1970 Dodge Dart Swinger. She also shares her love for all things automotive on her social media platforms. During her interview, she dives into personal struggles and triumphs throughout her journey. Be sure to tune in next week. Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribes for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a femcanic?